0: Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes
1: you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts.
0: From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this special edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, Critical Race Theory, we'll hear from professors, Georgia's reigning Teacher of the Year, and a local parent who says CRT is confusing.
2: What I've learned is that critical race theory has different definitions to different people and that it is abstract.
0: All those conversations coming up in just a moment, but first this... Tropical Storm Elsa is moving out of the state today, but not after doing some damage at a naval base on the Georgia coast. Ten people were injured by a possible tornado, which could have spun off from Elsa, that struck an RV park of the Kings Bay Naval Submarine Base in Camden County. Now, parts of the Georgia coast are still under a tropical storm warning. In other news, Fulton County is putting $10 million of its federal relief money into minority-owned banks, The reason? To help more small businesses get access to cash. Loyal Trust Bank opened in Johns Creek shortly before the pandemic. The bank, which is Asian-American owned, is one of two community banks receiving a $5 million deposit from Fulton County. The other is Unity National Bank, one of the few banks in the country with African-American owners. In all, Fulton is set to receive $206 million from the American Rescue Plan. Stay tuned, conversations regarding critical race theory Coming up, this is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund, introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org. Closer Look continues now. I'm Rose Scott. The Georgia Board of Education last month passed a resolution banning CRT, critical race theory, from being taught in public schools. Since then, here on this program, we began a series of conversations about CRT with different viewpoints, and today we present them all. First, from Spelman College, a conversation with Dr. Richard Benson, associate professor in the Department of Education and has been teaching critical race theory for more than a decade. Also, Dr. Laura Renee Chandler from Oglethorpe University. She's the first vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion for the university and a member of the senior administrative leadership team. So Dr. Chandler, I'm going to begin with you. From an academic standpoint, through your lens, what is critical race theory? So through my lens,
1: um, it's a very specialized area of study that comes from the legal field. Um, It's about 40 years old. Um, and was started by a number of uh, legal scholars of color who um, were interested in examining the intersections between race and um, racial injustice in the United States and the law. And so it looked at a number of areas dealing with integration, with housing, uh, with education, and so what is the role of race and the law in understanding these different areas of American society, and in particular, um, the injustices and inequities that we continue to see, despite many victories that occurred in the mid-20th century during the civil rights movement? As I mentioned before, it's a very you know, specialized field of study. Uh, it's not something that's taught in, in most uh, uh, college courses, although many undergraduate students will come into contact with it. Um, and I didn't even really come into contact with it until I was engaged in my studies as a graduate student.
0: Dr. Benson, care to add or counter any part of Dr. Chandler's assessment of what critical race theory is all about?
3: Nothing to counter. It's funny because when uh, Dr. Chandler, when she was closing out a statement, when she spoke to what point of her academic career that she was actually introduced to CRT, when she said she came into contact with it as a grad student. I've been teaching it at Spelman since 2009. So actually most of us have a, I would say who've been familiarized with CRT, many of us have come into contact with it in, until either grad school, and in many of the most cases, either advanced aspects of master's degree programs, or if you were seeking you know, to become a legalist or, or a lawyer. So many of the most cases, you would have one course that would be taught within a law school, for the most part within master's degree programs like in ed or in sociology you would have a course on CRT, or at least a module, because it morphs out of critical studies. So, you know, Derek Bell and the like, or whatever, who were able to construct it, for the most part, engineered TRT to be a lens through which they would teach to ensure that students who were coming through the law field would have an introduction with respect to race to show that it was endemic and not separate from the practices that they were engaging in as legalists.
0: Well, Dr. Benson, let me stay with you, because... There's so much written and stated about critical race theory, and especially within the last year. Mm-hmm. What troubles you the most that typically is falsely disseminated and even in a field like mine through the media, through the news media?
3: I think CRT, for the most part, the thing that troubles me the most is that many of us who engage in and understand that it's not something that's going to be introduced within K-12 spaces. So like if you look at CRT from its inception, as we go back to advanced degree status with respect to its introduction, even an undergraduate for the most part is not gonna have much familiarity with it. The reason that I introduced it as a significant module to a course that I teach in education at Spelman, which is called Advocacy at Urban Schools is because my training as a social and cultural theoretician, in addition to being a historian, involved the very early tenets of CRT based on my advisor. Mm-hmm. So my advisor, who's probably considered to be a top five theoretician in critical race theory by the name of Lawrence Parker, who was at the University of Illinois at Brandon Champaign, he's at the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. Now, I took courses with him, in addition to one of my close colleagues who considered a top three or top five theoretician was a CRT um, scholar within education by the name of Dr. David Stowall. So... The classes that I took with Dr. Parker, the relationships that I built with colleagues, we understood that CRT for the most part, and now you look at it not in in law, but in, or oh, I would say the evolution of CRT in ed, in LatCrit, crit, in queer studies. And then this evolution actually um, now taking form within LatCrit, crit, within queer crit. Um, and you see CRT now evolving in such a way that in many of the most cases, even undergraduates who are just learning, for the most part, it's almost um,
0: still within its infancy because it's only 40 years old. Dr. Chandler, let me get your thoughts on what is mostly misinterpreted about critical race theory. I
1: think it's really two things. So, first of all, it has been used really as this sort of catch all phrase, you know, the way that we see it um, being used by many politicians and the Board of Education. Um, it, it, it refers to any discussion of race or racism that makes people uncomfortable, right? Um, and that, of course, isn't what it is. We shouldn't base education. We shouldn't base our education system on, on what people are most comfortable, familiar with. And you know, I think that a, another thing that's concerned me about it is is it has been around for 40 years. Uh, and it seems that we're only now really talking about it because there is a movement to try to ban it right um, that that journalists and, and the media haven't really been um, interested or, or concerned with this particular field of knowledge and its origins and where it's come from and um, and why scholars wanted to talk about the intersections of race and the law um, until there has been a, a movement that is is largely connected to, to other efforts whether it's voting or um, other things that we see happening around the country that now it's become uh, a topic of conversation. And so I I think it really deserves to be considered on its own merits.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. And I'm joined by Dr. Laura Renee Chandler from Oglethorpe University, the first vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion for Oglethorpe, and also from Spelman College, Dr. Richard Benson, associate professor in the Department of Education. And he's been teaching critical race theory for more than a decade. And that's what we're discussing. All the concerns about critical race theory, the truths, and the misinterpreted. Something else that we're starting to notice in all these concerns and, and quite frankly, complaints about CRT is teaching racial inequality. And so I'm asking, is teaching racial inequality considered a tenet of CRT? Because it's become problematic when been teaching racial inequality for a, a very long time. Mm-hmm. So how problematic is that if people want to lump that as a tenet of CRT? So I, I am worried about the chilling effect that it will have um, in the K-12 system,
1: but you're right. I mean there are many conversations that we have about the role of race and racism in the United States that are not connected to the field of critical race theory. Um, you know, discussions about anti-racism, the role of social justice, you know, these are really their own fields of thought and fields of study. Um, and I think that that we need to trust our educators really in the classroom to be able to develop curriculum and, and to develop topics that speak to
0: the experiences of their students. Dr. Benson, what do you think? Because we are hearing all these concerns about, well, if you're teaching racial inequality, mm-hmm. then you're teaching critical race theory and that's wrong.
3: Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's, it's funny, but it's really not funny, especially in this space of, of being in the 21st century. I think many of us who probably Uh, children of the 70s who grew up in the late 70s, coming through the 80s or whatever, you probably came into adulthood in the 90s. I think many of us thought that what it is that we're discussing now would have been passe in respect to we have already accomplished what needs to take place in terms of some possible national, racial, ethnic, cultural truth and reconciliation commission, but it's sad that we haven't. So now we look at this moment now, and we're well aware for many of us who do this work as to what the outcomes or the intended outcomes are. And essentially, it'll set the precedent in order to eliminate ethnic studies, but most importantly, Black studies, Native American studies, Latinx, Latinx studies, et cetera, First Nation, you know, people's information, et cetera. I think a lot of what it is that I express or would like to express, and I don't want to speak for Dr. Chandler, but I think we're, you know, what am I on, on this with respect to looking at CRT? A lot of it can be looked at or actually looked at from a lens that Baldwin, James Baldwin, gave us in 1963. Baldwin did an article called A Talk to Teachers. He wrote that when educators or teachers or instructors attempt to essentially, um, you know, develop critical minds beyond kind of like this narcotized citizenry in which we're given and move beyond myths, they're going to face the most determined resistance. And then he began to break down mythology. So he would give us everything from Columbus's founding, or an individual or individuals who are attempting to expand empire, supposedly bring civilization, because obviously them brown and black folks who existed before, they couldn't have added civilization prior to, you know, to those persons who were invading. But Baldwin gives us something I think that needs to be looked at because he's stating that what's taking place is a part of a larger colonial project. We have to be able to maintain the consistency in terms of this paradigm that looks at how it is that you construct not only whiteness, but how it is that you construct this monolith of patriotism as if it, if, it's, if it can only look one way, or this monolith of citizenry as if it can only look one way. And those are some of my biggest concerns because once laws like this are passed, now the catch-all will be what well, that sounds like CRT. And I'll add one more thing with respect to this. In terms of constructing narratives and histories and stories, you know, this is a very intentional undertaking. So much so as we both know that, um, you know, contemporarily you can still be in Texas as a student or in Georgia as a student and hear the language that's attached to enslaved Africans as being indentured servants or being wage workers or workers versus enslaved bodies of individuals who were affected by chattel or one of my favorites the Civil War, as we have identified it for a few centuries at this particular point, being a, a moment of engagement around states' rights. Or one of my favorites, the War of Northern Aggression. You know, for the most part, which is still taught, but you can add the book bans, be it in Arizona, or other states, etc. cetera. But I mean, but it's a very crucial moment in which it's necessary for us to push back to not only unpack some of these erroneous claims, but also to push forward in terms of um, allowing educators and also those who construct curriculum to be more courageous in their thinking,
0: Dr. Chandler. Given your background and expertise in diversity, equity, and inclusion, can critical race theory, can those principles be a complementary component when we talk about implementing DEI plans, strategies, and, and other initiatives?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think we have to engage in a critical examination. Um, of the history of this nation, when we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I listened to the conversation um, that took place at the the Board of Education, uh, and there were a number of people on the call who talked about, you know, we embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion um, in our state, in our school districts. And, you know, I think many people on the call may think that they're coming from a good place, right? Um, But, you know, one of the central tenets of DEI is that it it really means embracing the entirety of who a person is and who a group of people are, um, their history, their experiences, their present, and their future. Um, And it's not just the parts of their history and who they are that you're comfortable with or that you're comfortable describing um, or or that you're comfortable hearing about. Um, It's really the entirety of who they are. We're in a state where over 50% of uh, the young people who are in schools in this state are people of color and they are soon going to be at our higher education institutions and even more of them will be in the workforce. And so we need to be prepared to speak to their experiences, to understand where they're coming from, to understand the world in which they live and how they view it. Um, And many students come to the classroom, you know, we talk about students as uh, the, the, or we talk about teachers as their role is to teach students how to think and not what to think. Well, the truth is, students are contributors to knowledge. They don't come to the classroom as blank slates, right? They come with fully formed ideas and opinions about what they see happening in the world around them. They want to know what their instructors think. They want to know what staff think. um, And they expect them to be responsive to their experiences, right, and and how they see the world. Um, So while, you know, I don't think that it will necessarily be a core tenet of curriculum. I think that there are important viewpoints about race and history that we should absolutely take into consideration when thinking about DEI and creating DEI strategies.
0: And as we wrap up, and everything that we've discussed today as it relates to critical race theory and efforts to ban the teaching of it in K-12, through what concerns do you all have in higher education and what this means for educating students who are going to be educators?
3: My biggest level of concern is still dealing with my students who were training to become educators. I mean, I have a deep understanding, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form oblivious to that once they leave my course or the like of other colleagues within my department who also have critical perspectives that they're literally going to be saved from all things dealing with xenophobia. our biggest concern is that they're going to go into spaces in which they've been grounded within critical instruction and also being able to unpack and teach students who think critically that they're not gonna be celebrated or embraced in other school systems, and thus made to be the scapegoat or the straw person in those particular schools based on the legislation in addition to the school boards, and, you know, and most importantly, those individuals who decide what shall and shall not go into the general curriculum for region states, et cetera. But like that's our biggest concern um, on that level. And then also, I pray that my students never get their spirits broken within the the process of becoming those who are knowledge producers, because all of our students are not going to go into the classroom in a K through 12 setting. Some of them are going to go on to become professors, and many of them are going to become policymakers, et cetera, engage in think tanks. I just hope that once they leave Spelman, and then they go to, you know, predominantly white or traditionally white institutions in order to gain degrees of advanced knowledge that the classroom experience in PW and TWIs are not so violent in othering that they become discouraged from actually engaging more in truth seeking in more critical work around history, sociology, political science, et cetera. So, but still, you know, just like the old folks would say when, when I was growing up, ain't no rest for the weary.
0: Dr. Chandler, I'll give you the last word on that as we move forward in the future of this
3: you know, I'm
1: sure like Dr. Benson, I've, I've worked in higher education for a very long time. And I know that these kinds of um, attacks and these types of conversations are really recurrent. Um, they, they tend to come up over and over again. Um, they often are in response to successes or efforts of advancement when it comes to social justice and when it comes to racial equality. And, and so I think they will continue to happen, uh, but the work continues. Right. And for those of us who are really committed to the work, um, especially when it comes to educating, and supporting students, um, it won't change much about what we do in terms of supporting mm-hmm. those communities. Um, mm-hmm. But I do worry. I mean, as Dr. Dr. Benson was mentioning, you know, I worry about the spirit of our students. I worry about their morale. I worry about the morale of our educators. Um, You know, we are the experts when it comes to supporting students and educating them. And I think that we should trust what educators do in the classroom when it comes to supporting their students, uh, to speaking to their histories and their experiences. Uh, We know what the research tells us about what BIPOC students, Black, Indigenous, and and, and persons of color, uh, what they need to succeed in the educational institution. They need to see themselves reflected not only uh, within the institution, but also within the curriculum. Um, these things are incredibly important. And so, you know, I, I want them to know that the staff and faculty who are here to support them as students will remain committed to them and remain committed to this work. Um, and we'll continue to deal with these challenges as they come up over and over again.
0: Dr. Laura Renee Chandler from Oglethorpe University, and also the first vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion for Oglethorpe, also, a member of the senior administrative leadership team from Spelman College, Dr. Richard Benson, associate professor in the Department of Education, and has been teaching critical race theory for more than a decade. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Dr. Chandler, Dr. Benson, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
0: And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Recently, the Georgia Board of Education voted on a resolution banning the teaching of critical race theory from its public schools. And as you all know, we've been hosting conversations regarding CRT. And now we want to welcome to the program Marie Maurer. She's a parent of a middle schooler here in the Atlanta area. Ms. Maurer, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
2: Rose, it's my honor to be here I enjoy your program very much, and I'm more than happy to be here to talk about this.
0: Oh, well, thank you. We appreciate you taking the time. Let's back up a little bit. Tell me about the first time you even heard of critical race theory.
2: It had to be when the resolution was being presented. I really hadn't heard of it.
0: So just recently?
2: Very recently. I've been in a mad dash to educate myself on what it is and what it is not. Uh, There's a lot of confusion Mm -hmm. about CRT. There's confusion on the catch-all phrase because it happens to be one particular type of um, coursework that was um, created. And then it's trickled into history lessons. Like people I hear see comments, well, this is about history. And I think there's the combination when we talk about CRT. I really had to do a lot of work to um, determine, well, what is critical race theory?
0: So when you took it upon yourself, you wanted to educate yourself, you wanted to do your own research. How did you do that? Where did you turn to?
2: I first turned to a journal that was written. uh, It was an introduction. To CRT, and it talked more about the college coursework that it's supposed to address um, for the for legal students who are studying law. And then I needed to get into more frank discussions uh, because it's different when you talk about CRT in education. So I went out and did some searching, and I came across Jason Riley doing a panel discussion with a few other very intelligent men who were discussing critical race theory in a panel discussion. And that helped me understand it better as well.
0: And so if someone were to say to you now, Marie, tell me what critical race theory is. You feel comfortable in defining it, giving a definition, one that you feel is accurate and fair?
2: Not really, because what I've learned is that critical race theory has different definitions to different people, and that it is abstract, it's very emotional, and people have different ideas of what it is. So I feel like I would not be able to define it accurately, but I have a good idea of what some of the ideas and the core beliefs are in CRT.
0: Can you give me one tenet that you have come to understand about CRT?
2: Uh, Yes. So the CRT core belief is that racism has been in our history and it still remains in our American institutions. Their core beliefs are that where there is racial disparity, there is racism. Mm -hmm. And the other belief is there's power differentials um some of the more negative that i'm hearing is that it tells poor black people that they do not have a chance in life to better themselves because uh you, you say know, it te-
0: i want to be clear you say uh-huh. it tells black people that
2: well yeah that's i'm hearing that the negative uh push is saying that in essence black person that's poor you're not going to be able to get ahead because of the white privilege or the whiteness of society, and that's kind of what I'm hearing too. So um, that's what you're
0: hearing, but that's not. Is that what you believe that critical race theory teaches? Oh that?
2: no, so uh, yeah, okay. I, I want to. I just wanted
0: you to be clear. Right.
2: Okay. Yeah. No, that's what I'm hearing. So, and because of that, I think there's a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. People are confused as to what it is. So I think there needs to be something that's more that has clarification how do you bring CRT into education and at what level do you do that and how do you do that
0: now in your research because you just mentioned a moment ago that you did find that a majority of it was introduced in the college curriculum did you find any instance where it was might have been introduced in elementary or middle school
2: The only thing I've seen that that's introduced is from examples across the nation of where some teachers have brought in oppression matrices Mm -hmm. uh, for the kids to do. They've brought in uh, where they want third graders to deconstruct their identity and to label what identity is an oppressed person and Mm -hmm. who's the oppressor. Um, Even in Atlanta public schools, I'm not seeing any really critical race theory elements. Mm -hmm. Uh, They use a no place for hate curriculum that's um, actually developed by the Anti-Defamation League. Mm -hmm. And it has a no hate pyramid that they use. And this is to address biases and what could elevate to be hate crimes and there's a baseline and on it it has a biases you need to acknowledge your privilege so that's where you're kind of going well how do you acknowledge what do you want a child to do in elementary or middle school to acknowledge their
0: privilege you read where there's some educators may have introduced that but here do you have a concern that that could be introduced and I don't know if your young one is in a p s so that's up to you if you want to disclose that, but do you have concerns that type of ideology or teaching would be exposed well, to that or taught you know, that
2: I, I never before had would I um my son has had um wonderful experience in his elementary schools and with his teachers, and it was in middle school this past year. That his experience really concerned me over the teacher's approach and what she was doing in the classroom, and it was him that he brought it to my attention what was it so the school itself has a mission that they feel that they need it's their job to challenge each student to take an active role. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in the face of all this uncertainty, they want them to take an active role. They want them to not stand to the side, but step in. They don't want them to be a spectator, but be a participant and not just to take notice, but to take action. So this uh, seventh grade teacher brought in uh, and talked a lot about Black Lives Matter Mm and the movement. And she just, brought it up a lot to where she was saying, well, you need to go to the protest, you need to support it. Um, She interwove the movement into assignments. You know, how, how do you connect Black Lives Matter to apartheid? I mean, there was a lot of different things and she would bring in video clips Mm -hmm. and what was happening. My son just said, her biases were very present in the classroom. Did you speak to her school, about it? I did. Oh, I did.
0: Mm-hmm. And what was that conversation uh, the, like?
2: It was good. Um, I let her know exactly what he was saying and my concern. I was very concerned over a video that she brought into the classroom. I told her that I felt that was very unprofessional.
0: What was the video, uh, Miss Mauer?
2: It was Trevor Noah. Mm-hmm. It was um, him talking uh, right after the Asian hate crime Mm -hmm. with the shooting of the spas. Mm -hmm. So she allowed that commentary from him to 12 and 13 year olds to go on. And it wasn't pretty, you know, it was, it was inappropriate actually for that classroom Mm -hmm. to see that video.
0: What conversations have you had with your, your middle schooler about racism in general? have y'all had that conversation
2: Play a lot mm-hmm. uh, we've have lived in the neighborhood for a long time mm-hmm. he's gone to since pre-k he's been in title one schools mm-hmm. his best buddies and i uh, have all been african-american and he sees the differences perhaps sometimes in our lifestyle compared to their lifestyle Uh we talk about how, like when I see uh, people trying to sell water on the side of the road, I've always been, well, we need to support, if they're trying to make money, we need to support making money. Mm -hmm. Um, If someone, we have always tried to support black owned businesses. And I tell him that it's because we need to elevate our African-American brothers and sisters to where they're getting, they're able to live a lifestyle that white people are living.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me stop you there for a moment because, based on what you just said, one might argue that is a component of critical race theory because you're recognizing that there has been some inequities, disparities, discrimi- discrimination, that there is a, a gap. And so you are telling your your son, we're going to support minority-owned businesses because you recognize that there has been this inequity.
3: What's your Absolutely. response to
0: someone who says, but that, is, that could be viewed as a, a tenet of critical race theory because you are acknowledging that and you are aware of it. What's your response? Well, that?
2: that is, um, it's not just a tenet of critical race theory. I mean, that is just an, an undeniable truth. Uh, that they use the critical race theory uses that. But I think critical race theory supporters may exaggerate a lot of other things uh, that maybe I don't agree with. Like what? Um, Well, again, I don't have any concrete Mm -hmm. uh, ideas about critical race theory. Mm -hmm. Um, If, you just wanna talk about, if they wanna just bring up and, and I'm all for, let's talk about history. When you wanna talk about um, the racism that happened a long time ago and bring it forward that it still is in our institutions, that's, please give my son and everyone an assignment that can connect that, mm-hmm. But don't, but teachers shouldn't just give, well, here's the information and 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 let them they need to research it and and come up with their ideas too
0: you told our producer i'm not opposed to incorporating facts from critical race theory you want more information about if there was going to be some type of curriculum you would want to view it or you would want you would hope that parents will get an opportunity to view it so are you an opponent or proponent or kind of just in the middle, you would want to just know what the curriculum is. You would want to preview it or know more about it. Is that what you're saying?
2: Absolutely. I think the curriculum is key. Um, I think the Georgia resolution at least um, pauses and and reminds teachers that you need to present information objectively and with multiple perspectives. Mm -hmm. Uh, It takes the activism out of the classroom uh political activism that's teacher led and i think that the curriculum needs to be written because the school board can write up the curriculum and and write up a curriculum that is that makes each child feel good to be in their school
0: you just told me your child attends a title I school and and i know title 1 maybe somewhere around 70 to 80% of those students come from low income households. Majority of them are black and brown students. You all identify as white, Miss Miss Maurer? Yes. Okay. So your son is, as you just said, has been in Title I schools all his academic his young academic life so far. Can you yes. understand if someone says, Well, if this nation has a history of racism, which it does, or do you not believe that? Because I want to be fair. Do you believe this nation has a history of racism?
2: Yes, and and it has a history, and it still continues. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to Title I schools up until sixth grade. Sixth he's grade. No longer, okay. no, he's no longer in a Title I for middle school. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you believe the Civil Rights Movement, which we know the Civil Rights Movement is taught in our schools, all the wars that this nation has been involved in, you see that being beneficial to students yes do you feel then those tentacles tied to why there was a civil war why there was a civil rights movement why there was world war Two, the atrocities committed you believe all that should be taught in our schools
1: yes
2: it is. I don't see where CRT is doing that, though. I mean, I see that that's just a good history teacher. A good history teacher is going to bring forth all of the facts and all of the content uh, and context of uh, what led up to something. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a good history teacher is also going to go. But this, even though this happens here, are all the here's the good players, here's the bad players mm-hmm. and here's how it ended up. Uh, instead of just focusing on just taking one bit of history out to fit a narrative that they want Mm -hmm. to maybe fit a political agenda that currently that teacher wants to uh, advocate for.
0: Have you had this conversation with other parents about CRT? What's that been like?
2: I have not had any conversations with any other parent about CRT.
0: Would you like to hear other parents' viewpoints, you think?
2: Yeah, it would be great. Um, that I would love that. I would love mm-hmm. to hear anyone that's had experience with CRT in their classrooms or in their schools, what that looked like. That would be awesome. Um, instead of just getting some of the negatives that I'm getting, I would love to hear some of the positives.
0: Marie Mauer, parent of a middle schooler here in the Atlanta area, and we've been talking about critical race theory, part of our ongoing conversations where we're just trying to get different viewpoints. Miss Maurer, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Miss Scott. I really appreciate the opportunity. All
0: right, take care of yourself now. All right, bye-bye. And this special edition of Closer Look continues right here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Today, we're packing all of our recent conversations regarding critical race theory, or CRT, into one program. After the Georgia Board of Education voted on a resolution banning the teaching of CRT in its public schools, Closer Look reached out to members of the board and only Tracy Nance Penley, ex-officio Georgia Board of Education member and reigning teacher of the year, agreed to join us. She teaches fourth grade here in the Atlanta area, and we should note Miss Nance is not a voting member of the board. Also a note of disclosure, WABE's broadcast license is held by the Atlanta Board of Education. So we pick up the conversation with Tracy Nance, Georgia's current Teacher of the Year, and her thoughts on critical race theory. Tracy, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
4: Thank you so much, Rose. You know, part of my role as Georgia Teacher of the Year is to represent teachers students and parents in their interest and so it was really important for me to speak out and to continue doing so on their behalf
0: let's go back a little bit how long have you been an educator
4: i have been teaching for 15
0: years now and you teach fourth grade correct
4: i teach fourth grade Um, i started in education just running an after-school program in greenville south carolina for um, kids in underserved neighborhoods and then went on to study sociology race and ethnicity and sociology of education at University of Chicago.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna talk about that in a moment. I wanna though get back to these fourth graders. What is it about that grade that you like?
4: You know, it's really my sweet spot. The kids are still enamored with being together as a community and the teacher and that age, they're just ripe for really moving from a concrete thinking to conceptual thinking. And so they start to get it. They start to see broad themes and strands across history and um, today's events. And it's just really powerful. I love seeing them grow into their potential and seeing them find their interests, the things that make them tick.
0: I wanna now refer to something that I read about you. And this was quote, it said, Tracy Nance Pendley became passionate about social justice and education during her first year at Furman University in 2002 close quote. I'm going to let you pick it up from here because there's a story that you just mentioned and it involves an after-school program.
4: Yeah. When I um, first started at Fermi University as a freshman, I signed up to be a volunteer. And I thought I would go once a week and help the students um, with their homework and do a lesson on morality and character, and that would be it. But the director of the program was actually leaving to go and pastor a church. And so the program was going to end. And so I took it over it felt like a calling it felt like the right time and um, it involved recruiting volunteers for three different clubhouses it was really funny on campus because it got to a point to where people would like almost um look away because i'm like hey want to volunteer come on (laughs) to clubhouse today they're like i can't make it that's all right i'll catch you tomorrow we're meeting then too but i fell in love with the kids and the relationship and so at the time i thought the very best way for me to help these students was to get involved in policy. And um, so I went to pursue my doctorates in sociology and Rose, I hated it. Yeah. I loved what I was learning, but I didn't have time for that clinical practice and I missed the relationships. Mm. So I think that what I learned that first year was absolutely fundamental, um, but it fueled me to cross over to the other side of the street and take up the urban teacher education program.
0: And Tracy, those students in that after school program, and can you tell me back then if you had to summarize their socioeconomic level, their status? Tell me about them. And we're not to say that all of them came from the same yeah. background. There was a pattern here. What would you say? What would you tell me about That's those
4: people? Absolutely kids? a pattern. Um, part of my sociology work in Greenville was to study that area and to study historical segregation laws. Um, To this day, there is a physical brick wall that still stands that used to divide neighborhoods by race. And um, the three neighborhoods that I worked with were in predominantly African-American communities, um, low income, and the particular clubhouse that I was closest to and volunteered with the most, um, that area has now, all those kids have been displaced. It's been gentrified on the west end of Greenville.
0: Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sure does. Did you ever study critical race theory in college?
4: I did. I actually studied it as an undergrad and have recently used it in my own research on gentrification and school choice in Atlanta.
0: Do you think CRT, as we call it, and I think I know the answer to this based on what you said, but is an important education concept to teach future educators?
4: It absolutely is. One of the most important things that has informed my own practice is being part of create. It's a teacher residency program here in Atlanta. And the big focus is on equity. It's looking at student work with an equity lens. It's communicating across differences with our colleagues and really learning how to tear down some of these structures and acknowledging systemic barriers.
0: Why do you think through your lens, this is through your, your opinion, why do you think there's all of a sudden now this wave of wanting to ban teaching critical race theory, and particularly at the K through 12 level, when from what I'm hearing and learning, it's rare that it's taught at the elementary and even middle and high school level. What's your take on all this, Tracy?
4: Absolutely. I think that the choice to, you know, and they didn't use critical race theory in the resolution itself, but we do know that that's what was being referred to. Mm -hmm. I think it highlights a lack of informed decision-making, And at the end of the day, a lot of people fear what they don't know. And so I think it comes from a place of fear. Um, I hate, absolutely hate that there's two tenets of it that seem to lie on feelings. One, the fact that we're gonna ignore systemic racism because of white people's feelings. And secondly, what's disturbing is that it seems to rely on a student's feelings. How many times have our children of color been ignored? How many times have the feelings of parents expressing themselves um, gone unheard? In the classroom, even at the high school um, level, you're not going to see a teacher presenting an article going, this is critical race theory. Instead, we're teaching it in different ways. So for example, I'm offering multiple perspectives. When I teach about Native Americans, I offer the the Eurocentric white Christian um, Columbus version, everything's happy hunky dory. But then I also offer a book called Encounter that shows a Native American's perspective, Mm -hmm. and how frightening it must have been being taken away to be enslaved. Um, It's important to show these things. It's important for teachers to have books in their classroom that reflect the lives of their the kids in their
0: class. The voice you hear is Tracy Nance Pendeley, ex official Georgia Board of Education member and teacher of the year for 2020 2021 and we're talking about critical race theory and the recent decision by the Georgia Board of Education to pass a resolution banning the teaching of critical race theory from public schools. Everything that you're telling me and our listeners are hearing I'm assuming that you expressed the same Comments to the board were they were any of them receptive? Did they understand?
4: Sure, I um I was the first to speak out against the resolution. Um, I have received hundreds of emails from stakeholders across the state opposing this resolution, and um, only two so far in favor of it. And at that time, I hadn't received a single one in favor of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spoke against it. And two members did speak after me and um, say that they, the resolution itself made them feel unheard, like their experiences mm-hmm. had not mattered.
0: In one of the conversations I just had, and the guests talked about concerns of what something like this, how it might hinder or or deter future educators, you've been doing this for 15 years, We need what they call good teachers, good educators, right? What's your concern, Tracy, about the banning or even even if it's just through resolution, through some type of legislation for some states?
4: I think that teachers already have such a difficult time in the eyes of the public. You know, we saw it this past year. In March of 2020, we were heroes all of a sudden. And then when we asked for vaccinations before being forced back into the class buildings, all of a sudden we were lazy and didn't want to do our jobs. Um, and I think that this would be one more set of eggshells for us to tiptoe around. And I don't know that it's wholly possible when it hinges on feelings. Part of the resolution says that teachers are not to encourage or teach like active protesting and that no assignments can involve that. However, even in my fourth grade classroom, I teach my kids to call their senators I teach because, you know, most adults my age don't know how to reach out to their senator. And so you better believe that we have a script. The kids call and say, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm a future voter in zip code, you know, one, two, three, four, five. And this is what I'm concerned about. And this resolution, if a rule is created out of it, would prevent me from doing that. And that doesn't seem right.
0: Well, correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a long time since I've been in the elementary history class, but wasn't the Boston Tea Party a protest?
4: Hey, all kinds of protests throughout history, you know? So I'm, I'm shocked. Um, I think it comes from a lack of knowledge. I, you know, someone in the, at the DOE told me that critical race theory has been the number one Googled term from school leaders and le- legislators over the last couple of weeks.
0: And it just shows that they haven't, they're not well read. You know, what's interesting this time last year, speaking of the Google search and everyone was Googling um, how to be an ally and anti-racism mm-hmm. and those, the books folks were, were ordering. And now this year, <laughs> critical race theory.
4: I don't know if those books got read by the right people, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned Dr. Patina Love when I was speaking at the board and I'm like, You've been you on know the how-
0: show. She's been on the show a few times. Yes.
4: Like no one should make a decision until they've read. We want to do more than to survive, you know? Um, So it's disappointing. And I can only promise to your listeners that I'm going to keep speaking out. I'm going to keep standing up because like Dr. Bettina love and Dr. Gloria ladson Billings, Beverly Tatum, I do not call it an achievement gap that gap that exists between our students of color and white students. It's an education debt. We owe our kids the very best. And the best way to do that is to acknowledge those systemic barriers and make sure that we're taking steps to tear them down.
0: What is your advice to someone who's going to be a first-time teacher this fall, maybe fourth grade, they're listening?
4: First of all, I want you to go into education. We need passionate teachers that carry conviction for helping our students and building relationships with them. I say, go into the classroom, learn who your kids are in front of you, get to know them, and then you close your door and teach those babies. You teach them to take ownership of their learning. You teach them to identify bias. You teach them to look at history through multiple lenses and to think for themselves.
0: What's your response to a parent who says, shouldn't that really come more from me as the parent and your job is to teach the basics? I'm, I'm I've received emails about this, so I'm actually reading, paraphrase a little bit what a, a listener wrote. Shouldn't teachers just be teaching the basic? It's up to me as a parent to teach my child to be a critical thinker.
4: Oh, I would disagree so strongly with that because it's teachers who are providing the content for that critical thinking, right? We're not supposed to just throw up, you know, regurgitate information. That's no good. If we were to teach our kids to be active citizens, we have to teach them how to think. And when I talked to my parents, I really considered the relationship. Um, we're partners. We pass that baton off in the morning and in the afternoon, I hand it back. And so it's critical that we see our roles as very similar. You get them in the morning and in the evenings, I got them in the middle of the day. And we're teaching them the same important skills.
0: You've been teaching for 15 years.
4: Yeah, I love it. I love it.
0: You're not going to switch and become a politician or?
4: It's funny. I've heard a little bit of that this past year. You should run for office. Um, But I have two goals right now. One of them is to start writing, to write a memoir. Um, A lot of my advocacy started in my own childhood. I wasn't the typical child. Um, I... Beat the odds for a couple of reasons. I had excellent educators, and then when I was 16, I had a wealthy uncle take me in. I have privilege, mm-hmm. so um, I want to pay it forward. I really do. So um, I want to write a memoir, and I want to go to school and get my EDD in leadership.
0: Tracy Nance Pendley, ex-official, Georgia Board of Education member. But I think she likes this title even more. Teacher of the current Teacher of the Year for 2020-2021. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being an educator. And fourth grade is really cool.
4: Absolutely. You're a gem. Thanks, Rose.
0: And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder to send us your feedback on all the conversations and features you here on the program. Just send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's always online at wabe.org slash And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcasts. Subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at WABE.org or wherever you find your podcasts.